and welcome back to another episode of The Loss of Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Today, always joining me, Mr. Walter Lukashensky out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Great weekend of football. Great Sunday of football. A lot of great games you want to get to. But first, Wally, how was your weekend, buddy? So I know you had a very busy one, to say the least. I was initially really nervous about the weekend. I think you guys could probably tell it's been on my mind for over a year. The idea of being, what, best man at three weddings in the course of two months and two of those weddings being within three days. It was a lot, but man, I couldn't have got luckier. Great group of guys, great group of girls on both sides for both of those weddings. I had a lot of fun. I was nervous about that first one just because I was standing up holding my picture of Jesus for the entire time it was a long period but I actually had a blast in in good people like I said on both sides and I'm happy that I have my weekends back for football though Steven I promise you that much what did you do this weekend I know that you got to go down for your Packers game in Cincinnati but beyond that what did you what managed to get yourself into yeah you got to hang out got to do a little college gambling on the Alabama Crimson Tide game, losing to Texas A&M. It was an absolute lock for the overs. I had an over at 40.5 for a teaser. Had them straight up 50 and, 50 and a half. Easy money all day. So had that. Then got, like you said, got to go down to Cincinnati and watch that absolute barn burner. Yeah, we're going back with the absolute. Going with the barn burner here with five missed field goals in that game. I don't want to say too, too much. It was a wide receiver battle. But we will get to that. We will cross that bridge sooner rather than later. Before we get into the hair of the dog segment, we do want to address the elephant in the room. As we know, John Gruden just resigned as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach. This was after over the weekend where some emails were leaked between him and someone that was in the upper up of the Washington football team of him expressing homophobic slurs, racist remarks towards a lot of upper ups in the NFL. Yet this was the time that he was not in the league. But now a lot of this is having the light shine on it right now, resulting in John Gruden not being in the NFL anymore. Obviously, Wally, this is your team. I feel like you're going to say you're going to feel very strongly about this. So I want to open it up to you here, bud. Yeah, this is a very tricky situation. And John Gruden, I from a football perspective, I was disappointed because I was one of the guys that actually had been in his corner. I know a lot of people had been hypercritical of John Gruden and Mike Mayock even before this news, and I had liked how the team had been trending. But this is an entirely different situation, and it's something that we have to talk about. This was a trend. It was a trend that lasted more than seven years, and who knows beyond that, who knows what he was saying behind closed doors, all those other, I guess, situations where you might have found these kind of opinions being spoken out loud. I'm a white, straight dude, right? So the comments are being about women. They are being about people in the LGBT community. They are about black people. I am not any of those things. So I do not really have, I guess, as much of a right to talk about it or I guess have a really strong opinion about, oh, you know, this guy's been, or he's the worst of the worst. All I will say is that I think that we have to just be careful as a culture because we should hold people accountable, but accountability should also kind of be balanced with encouraging people to try to grow and encouraging people to actually be a better person. I'm not the whole, if someone said something 10 years ago, I'm going to fire them or they should have their career ruined. 
But this wasn't exactly that. That's why this is so tricky. It's like you said, it was over the course of seven years. And that was just before he was back in the NFL. He's close to what being a 60 year old man. Now this is kind of who he is. Right. And I don't, I, I guess I just, it's so uncomfortable and I don't have a lot to say other than the fact that this is a Raiders team that has prided itself on its entire existence, being very progressive and being a team that takes no nonsense in, in stuff like this. It's the first franchise in the NFL to have a woman in the front office. It's the first franchise in the NFL to have a black head coach, first Latino head coach. It's very proud of that rich history. So I think that Mark Davis did the right thing. Keep the Raiders above all things else. You want the Raiders to still stand for what it always has. I know I'm rambling, but I I just, it's not an easy clean cut situation, Steven. It's not like, hey, you fire this guy. He should never be allowed in the league again. But at the same time, he has to be held responsible, has to be held accountable in some regard, right? What did, I, like, I want to hear what you think because I don't know. It's not for me to decide. I'm just, I'm still kind of shell-shocked like everybody else is with this being so fresh. And you said it the best. We're we're white males, white straight males. Like we have, you know, we're never going to have any common ground that we're ever going to relate, you know, with people on the other side of, you know, what those slurs are. And yeah, you know, J- John Gruden, his age in his 60s, yes, this is who he is. I'm not standing by him, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that someone of this age with that generation is thinking like that. This is all new that, of course, our generation, generations after, we're all very good at it because we're not 60 years, 50, 50 plus years stuck doing the same thing over and over again, telling us we're, when we're wrong. Do you see how mad our parents get when we tell them that they're wrong about something? See how flustered they get about technology? Of course, because they have no idea what the fuck it's about. You can say that really about anything. So I thought the NFL, Mark Davis handled it well. They resigned. It's a clean cut, but now we have the aftershocks of what's going on with the earthquake and how everything is going to be handled after that. You know, with Carl Nassim coming out, the way that John Gruden was betraying himself with having that openly gay player on there, only for this to kind of come about, there has to be more than what we saw with these emails as well. Because there was a lot of there was a lot of words being used. Yes, I feel like a lot of people in the NFL were using that and if John Gruden's getting fired, I think a lot of people have to have a target on their back right now. So I feel like I'm going to see some really bad things from a Jerry Jones email. Maybe some bad things from some other people in the, in the NFL that we need to fix up. So this is just this, this is the first domino to fall, and I'm assuming it's what's going to happen, depending on how big this NFL investigation is going to get. You just can't say it. And you can't do it on your personal email. And you can't do it in general. And, and you it just can't be said. It's one of those understoods now. He was wrong, took accountability, and now we have to move move on. And whatever his future may hold is only God will know at this point. You hit it on the head, dude, with Carl Nassib being the first openly gay player, at least on a starting roster in the NFL, because Michael Sam didn't make it to this point in the season, or at least wasn't starting and making plays in games in the regular season. This is unprecedented, and we're at a real mesh point, I feel like, in society, not just with the NFL, because you're right. This isn't just a John Gruden thing. And you know how people try to turn that, like when these moments happen, it's a very isolated and intense reaction focused all on that one person. But you know that this is not just 
a coaching thing. This is not just a player thing. This is a cultural thing as a whole. There are people that have or are still saying the wrong things. And that's where I think that we have to have a discussion on, do you want to hold people so accountable that there is no forgiveness or I guess room to grow? People like you and me, like we said, we're the straight white guys. We're not the people that have, I, I guess, this the strong feelings. I mean, Sarah Thompson, she was the first woman referee. She's freaking calling these games while John Gruden's on the sideline. How does that make her feel? You and I will never truly get it. We'll never know how Carl Nassib felt when he saw these emails linked a few days ago. We'll never know how the black players on these teams felt when these comments surfaced, especially talking about what Michelin lips. And like, that's at the time it, we could were like, okay, he came up with a good cover story. And again, I know I am rambling, but it's just, it's such a muddy situation. There is no clean fit. On our end, we just have to sit and be, you know, get educated and want to be able to learn and get better. That's all we can do. Our opinions aren't going to matter again because we're not in that situation and we're never going to understand that situation. Now it's just our time to just get educated and just better ourselves for the generation of people to come. With that being said, let's talk some football between the white lines here. Thank God. That that happened here on Sunday. A little bit of hair of the dog. Put in the beer here. I had I had a long long weekend. I'm uh, still kind of recovering, so I'm I'm staying away. I'm, I'm slipping on some water right now. Don't you worry about it, Stephen, because there is something else that you can take. You don't just have to have beer in a hair of the dog situation on Sunday or Monday morning. In this case, we actually have a new sponsor here for Lost of Down, Stephen. We are being sponsored by Tab Ease, my buddy Ty Smith up in Wisconsin. Last month, I went up there for the bachelor party. Ty hands me these tabs, Delta 8, morning after a hangover, I take a couple of these guys, fogginess is gone, pain is gone. I've been struggling with depression and anxiety for a long time. Since I started using tab ease, I'm able to go to sleep a lot easier than I ever had. I, this last Saturday, for instance, I'm at the wedding up in Wisconsin. I have to do a best man speech. I'm a nervous wreck. I can't even take beer at this point because my stomach's rumbling so bad. Throwing a tab ease right before my speech, I get up there, I feel very calm. I'm at ease. You can tell. I think you guys all can tell. I'm a very high-strung person. I'm a very passionate. I'm a very loud person. I pop one of these when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I come back down to earth. It's the perfect thing for guys like you, especially in inherited dog situations. Tab ease is keto-friendly. It is gluten-free. It's consistent dosing. And that's a big deal, too, because a lot of these Delta A places, they infuse each of these individually, and they're infused differently every time. This is a consistent job. You take one of these Tab Ease pills, it's going to do the exact same the next time. Instead of sometimes, you might get a little stronger, a little weaker in other companies, not for Tab Ease. These things are heat-resistant. You get them mailed to you. It's not going to be like certain other places that I'm not going to talk about with the gummies. They melt together. You don't know what you're eating. Not Tab Ease. Tabs, again, notice that in the name. They're tabbies. So when you guys are ordering this, go to tabease.com or you can get through them on Facebook or Instagram. Going to tabease. That is tab E A S E. And when you get there, use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off now and as long as we can keep this great relationship between tabbies and loss of down going. Steven, we'll go back to you. But now all of a sudden, don't stress about it when you don't have a beer on that Sunday morning. 
You got tabbies. We have our first game here. No surprise. We're barely going to really going to talk about this game. Derrick Henry going off against the Jaguars. What's new? 11th game in his career against him. Every single game, he goes off. 130 yards, three touchdowns, wins 37-19. to 19. James Robinson on the other side had a nice game. 18 carries, 149 yards, and a touchdown. I'm not really looking too much into this game. Tennessee's coming off a loss to the Jets the week prior. You knew that they were going to dominate as Derrick Henry is fed the ball 25-plus times. You know it was going to get done. I'm not looking too much into this game. Dude, the Jaguars are terrible. I think that they're like the inverse of what the Chiefs were last week. Well, we last week, last year, when we said that we were going to fade them every single game. That's where I'm at right now. I'm not going to be able to take the Jaguars until I actually see either Urban Meyer fired or this team actually want to play for him. Don't look into this too much for Tennessee, but it is nice to see them get, I guess, back on the horse after that brutal loss to the Jets last week. Our second game here in the hair of the dog. The Steelers actually win a nail-biter against the visiting Denver Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater throws an interception on fourth and goal to end the Broncos' comeback hopes in this game. They had made it look a little bit closer than it was. The Steelers dominated this game early in offense, and against a defense like that, you really can't afford to have that happen. I think this is just a matchup of two very good defenses and two offenses that are going to hold these teams back. Pittsburgh, yeah, they get their second win of the season, and I bet it felt like that was a long way to wait after that Buffalo win. But now the Broncos, they're on a two-game slide themselves. When you walk this game, is this the Broncos coming back down to earth or maybe the Steelers having a little bit more life than we expected? The Steelers having a little bit more life than we expected. The, the offense looked pretty decent here. Big Ben put on a better performance, 15-25, two touchdowns and 253 yards. And then Najee Harris had his best game as a pro, 122 yards and one touchdown on 23 carries. So Chase Claypool coming back off the hammy with a buck 30 and a touchdown as well. So the offense was looking good, really weird. Right when Juju Smith-Schuster goes out, dislocated shoulder, he's going to be out for the year. All of a sudden, plug in Claypool to that number one, and maybe that offense is a little bit better than we thought, but not so fast. I think that this was a team just ready to get a win after being on the losing end since opening day. They had a home game against the Broncos team that has a lot of question marks at that quarterback position. You know, Denver Denver put up a fight in this game. They were down 24-6 to heading into the fourth. And like you said, Teddy Bridgewater throws an interception with about 30, a little bit less than 30 seconds left to kill it. So Denver was right there. And it has a one-possession game. So it's a good win for Pittsburgh. They have another opponent coming into town. Maybe they can string in a couple next week. But Denver, they have to figure out quarterback, which we knew that going into into the beginning of the year. Nothing new. The New Orleans Saints beat the Washington football team with only Jameis completing 50% of his passes for 279 yards, four touchdowns. He also had an interception to start off the game and then one ugly fumble as well in that first quarter a couple drives later. This Washington football team, this defense just is not clicking. It is not looking good. Taylor Heineke, not with a great game, just slightly above 50% completion as well. 248 yards, two interceptions. I I still don't have a grip on this New Orleans Saints team. I don't know if I should give up on this Washington football team quite yet either. Dude, I'm addicted. I got a problem with Washington. I it's I want to believe that they're gonna figure it out. But I'm starting to lose faith. I feel like the little kid, you know, when you have the damn ironing boards 
out and you walk out of the room for whatever reason as a little kid you see that shiny smooth silver thing yeah I want to go touch that I've already burnt my hand like six times on this Washington team this year yet I still go back and I keep touching the damn iron I don't understand this defense why they are not doing well with all this talent with all this coaching talent it's amazing and the Saints are an enigma in their own right they're so hot and cold they'll lose to a team they have no business losing to then they'll beat a world beater this week was kind of I guess that middle ground where Washington's defense is right there as the worst defense in football we thought it was going to be on the other side but credit to the Saints credit to Jameis Winston for being able to get it done for Washington though this team is not going to be able to do anything this year I I think that at some point, we have to say this defense's problems are not salvageable during this year. And at that point, this team's a nobody. I do want to say, we're throwing a lot of hate at this Washington football team. You take away that Hail Mary Jameis Winston scores to end the first half, they're right in the thick of things right there. All of a sudden, that's a 26-22 game. And then he has the other huge 72-yard to Deontay Harris right after throwing that first quarter interception. Maybe this is different, but... Like you said, I don't know if this secondary can be salvageable during the rest of the season because this is not the division you want. Do you want to have a bad secondary in between Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott as well as the rest of your schedule? Good luck, guy. Definitely, like you said, good luck. I just, I think they're done. And I would don't even want to hate this team. You know that I've basically been riding them for the last year and a half because I want them to be good. And it's just between the injuries on the offensive side of the ball and the just inexcusable defense right now, there's a lot to figure out. But the Eagles go to Carolina, and they looked like shit in the first half, but they come back, get the job done, get the win. I've been knocking Jalen Hurts. I've been knocking this offense off a little bit in the last couple weeks because most of the time they're getting those yards. They're getting those scores in garbage time when they're down three or four scores. They do it this time against a good Carolina defense after being held to six in the first half, they hold Carolina to three. And they win this game 21-18. to 18. I was impressed. And I'm not easily impressed with Philadelphia because I feel like I try to look for problems. But the fact that this team, especially under Sirianni, I thought this team was going to look lost this year. They're competing with these teams. And Carolina, don't get me wrong, they're, I feel like they're almost like a Raiderish kind of team in the NFC where... They could beat teams that are better than them some weeks, and they can kind of play down to the level of their opponents in other times. But the Eagles, man, big win for them. Kind of keeps them feeling like they can stay relevant this year. And now all of a sudden, Carolina's really got to figure out how to get off the snide here and get back to their winning ways. This one has to hurt for Carolina. Sam Darnold throwing three interceptions. You you just can't be doing that. He has been killing it rushing with Christian McCaffrey. How he's had four rushing touchdowns. He doesn't. He just has one one passing touchdown, three interceptions. You just can't do that. Hubbard in, in replace of McCaffrey, twenty four rushes for one hundred and one yards. He's looking good as well, but that's not good. You can't do that against that Eagles defense that's getting that's been getting roasted this year. It's inexcusable, but that Carolina D, I will give them their credit when credit is due. That is a good defense. They still have them playing despite of the injuries, waiting for Stephon Gilmore to get off that PUP list here in a couple weeks. And, of course, J.C. Horn with the broken foot, who should be a few weeks right after that. That Carolina D is going to keep them in a lot of games. 
but you cannot turn the ball over three times, Sam Darnold. You can't do that, especially with Jalen Hurts. He can he can turn it on at any point. And then you have the special teams, the blocked punt to take over the 27-yard line with under four minutes. You can't do that. They had a breakdown in all three phases of the game here in that second half. You just can't do that because, like I said, Jalen Hurts can get hot way too quick. We're going to keep it in division, and just like the next quarterback, we're going to talk about Dak Prescott leading the Cowboys to a 44-20 win over the New York Giants, who could not stay out of that blue medical tent here on Sunday. Saquon, leaving with an ankle injury. Danny Jones, concussion. You had Kenny Galladay, who has a knee hyperextension. You had to play Mike Glennon in replace for him. Kadarius Toney going off for 10 receptions for 189 yards. He ends up getting ejected because he's throwing a punch. I mean, this... Giants team had this game fairly close before the second half started and injuries started piling up throughout the game. Dak with another three touchdowns and 300-yard performance. The Cowboys are rolling right now, and the Giants are going to be a lot worse than we thought with all these injuries, Wally. Yeah, and it's so kind of sickeningly ironic that Saquon Barkley gets injured after the play jogging kind of in a non-football scenario. When his offensive line is this bad, we had been talking about how guys like Daniel Jones and Saquon, how are they going to stay healthy with a line this bad? And for it to happen like this, it's it's a sick joke. And you just have to feel for that guy for his career. I mean, he has all the talent in the world. He just can't stay on the football field right now. And it really brings up and highlights why you do not draft a running back in the first round. You don't take running backs early. And to take him second overall – when you can see the quarterbacks in that draft class do as well as they have, it's not a good look. And it's another indictment on Dave Gettleman and what he's done there. But to the Cowboys, man, they're good. I really like this Cowboys team. And I know that a lot of people want to hate Dallas because they are the Dallas Cowboys. They are that mystique that, I don't know, they're kind of gross because everybody either loves or hates them. But they're for real. And Zeke all of a sudden looks like Zeke from a few years ago. And... All of a sudden, you start seeing these defenses typically wear down as the year goes on. This offense is only going to get more prolific as they're able to run the ball. So very excited to see how Dallas does. Because I think right now, they're legitimately a threat to come out of the NFC. But I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we get to the previews here. But the Falcons beat the Jets in London 27-20. The Falcons dominating time of possession had over 12 minutes more than the Jets in this game. Right after seeing what the Jets did last week, you had that kind of hope and expectation Zach Wilson and company were starting to turn the corner a little bit, starting to look a little bit like they're going to get it figured out on that offensive side of the ball, and it hasn't really happened. And not being able to get it done against Atlanta, got to be frustrating. You know, Speaking of frustrating, How do you think the people of London feel that this is the freaking game that they got served? The Atlanta Falcons, the rejects of the NFC against the New York Jets, probably one of the more disappointing big market American sports teams there is. Crazy. Well, they got the Jags and Dolphins this week as well. So it's going to be a toss up. But yeah, you said it best. I really thought Zach Wilson may have strung in a uh, couple wins here after getting that confidence over Tennessee. And they were held to 230 yards as an offense. 
you know, Zach Wilson continually is turning the ball over. And they were this game was out of reach. It was 20 nothing for a while, and it was out of reach for a while. Don't let that score dictate what you actually thought the game or how close the game could have been because it wasn't. Falcons putting up 450 total yards. This was a week after the Jets' defense was just getting after Tannehill and that Titans offense with sacking him for seven times. Matt Ryan, 342 yards with two touchdowns. And Kyle Pitts finally having his coming out party. Nine receptions, 119 yards, and one touchdown over there in London. Yeah, they can't be happy. You're over there playing in, in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and you're just bringing shitty teams. You, you have to get some good teams. You got to get that Patrick Mahomes. He's that guy that people already know over there. Why would you not want to bring him? Have have them host a Patrick Mahomes versus, I'm not saying like a Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, maybe a Chargers Chiefs, Raiders Chiefs, something there that's going to be high scoring and get these people entertained. You know, I know they're used to the low scoring, boring, methodical game, but I mean, geez, get some excitement over there for them. Yeah, they need to figure something out because it's like a purposeful thing right now that they're sending the worst games. Like imagine if the Premier League was trying to really sell European soccer to the American fans and they sent over Crystal Palace to play like ugh, Wolves or something like that. Like you you got to send over like Man City, you got to send over Chelsea, someone like that. Why don't we send over there? A freaking Patriots game. Because even right now, the Patriots aren't that great anymore, but the mystique around them still is. And because of that, that's how you, you go grow. You throw Bill Belichick. Tell the people of England, hey, this is the greatest coach in American football history. And we're bringing him over to you. Watch what he does. That'd be so much better than, like you said, a freaking Jaguars. And who are they playing, you said, this weekend? The Dolphins, I think? Yes, the Jags and Dolphins. I mean, it's not good for it's not good for the image. I mean, yeah, you know, those people that actually enjoy watching the NFL over there, sure, they will they will enjoy that. But if you're watching it, I can guarantee you the Jets and Falcons are not going to be their first pick to root for, as you know, or to choose to root for. And the next step now is Germany. That's where we're going to have the games. You can't be bringing this week shit over to Germany. And I can't wait to see those German games too. They have, although then all of a sudden you're going to have to be waking up at 6 a.m. to watch these freaking Dolphins and Jaguars games. So if we're going to be waking up at 6, you better, you better be bringing the good product over there because otherwise that game is, uh, I wake up and figure out how they did after the fact. Sounds like more reason for me to get up and start gambling, drinking, eating hot dogs at 7 in the morning. I'm not complaining. Next game that we have here on the slate the New England Patriots have a nice 10-point fourth-quarter comeback victory against the Houston Texans. I bet you did not think that was the team I was going to say. Unless you know the schedule, then you already assumed I was going to say that. Davis Mills lighting up the Pats secondary. 312 yards and three touchdowns. This is a week removed from a four-interception, 87-passing-yard performance the week prior. Chris Moore, who the fuck is that? Five receptions, 109 yards, and a touchdown. Chris Connolly, that dude's still in the fucking league. Three receptions, 84 yards, and a touchdown. But it wasn't enough for Mac Jones and the Patriots because they play a full 60 minutes, Wally. They did play a full 60 minutes, and I, I mean, I guess that you have to give credit to the Patriots for coming back. Now, the fact that they were in that position, it makes you worry 
about what this team really is because good teams don't struggle with Texans teams like this. I guess you do at some point also have to commend how hard Houston has played this year. They've had a couple really ugly games that Buffalo one stands out. But the fact that they're even competing when going into this year, they had that kind of stink of a team that could win one, maybe two wins all year. At least they're playing hard. It's kind of like what you see in Detroit. I know Detroit hasn't found that win yet, but I think that they will at some point as well. That's why it's different in those two situations than what you see in Jacksonville right now. Because there, there is nothing to really be encouraged with. You can tell that the teams aren't playing hard. But Houston, I don't know. Uh, that's that's the closest thing I can say to anything nice. It's an ugly game. Like you said, Patriots do come back in the fourth, and a defense really settled in after the first half. But now we'll go into my game. Got to give credit to your boy Adam Alfonso's Bears. They got it done in Las Vegas. Beat the Raiders 20-9. Game was ugly, to say the least. The Raiders' inability to block for Derek Carr is going to be the downfall of this team. And you add the John Gruden saga now, you're going to have a new coach. I think that all of a sudden it makes me so sad. A season that started so promising for this Raiders team feels like the carpet's been pulled out from under us in the course of eight days. I mean, literally a week ago, they're 3-0 and on Monday night going into the Chargers, had a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter, Fast forward seven days, you're 3-2 and two and you don't have your head coach and you can't block for your starting quarterback. I don't really have a lot of positives to say beyond the defense. Did do well outside of a lot of very undisciplined penalties. I know you want to hit Justin Fields early. You know he's banged up. But some stupid, stupid fouls. The moment they fall behind in this game 7-3 because they give like 50 yards penalty-aided on a touchdown drive for Justin Fields and the Bears, that was when this game ended. I Say what you got to say. I don't really want to talk about it much more. This is just to have you vent, bud. This was probably one of the only games where I didn't really get too much into because I knew that you were going to have it covered. But Bears are stringing a couple wins here together. They're ugly, gritty. That defense is looking decent. Cleo Mack, you know, is ready to play. Then obviously with... You know, what was going on this weekend, you knew that they were not going to be in the right mindset, and that and that showed early, often, and throughout the duration of the game. So we'll see how they want to play under, underneath that. Uh, what special teams coordinator that got moved up here as your interim head coach? We'll see if he, he can relight that fire, and you never know. Maybe they can turn it around somehow. Here's a sick thing, too, that I think you'll find a little funny. So since I'm driving back from Wisconsin – the one o'clock games, I was able to actually hear every play of that Packers Bengals game. Follow that immediately up. I was driving through then Chicago on the way back for the Raiders Bears game, which meant I had to listen to the damn Bears radio call as the Raiders lost. And there's nothing worse than having to hear rival fans talk about beating up on your team and you don't even get to see it. So there's not really a way you can argue back. You're just repulsed with what you're hearing come through your ears. Yeah, that's and they're from Chicago. That's rough. If you know that, they are going to be ruthless. They don't give a fuck. If you're not one of them, you're dead to them. So I uh, I feel for you. But you made it through. You made it home safely. And honestly, well, that's really all that matters to me here. Regrettably, you made it home safely. 
That's my boy. There, there he is. Tampa Bay staying in Florida, playing the Miami Dolphins here. They completely dominate them. This game wasn't fun. Tom Brady, 30-41, five touchdowns for 411 yards. He is on a tear to start this year. Mike Evans, seven receptions, 113 with two tutties, both in that fourth quarter when the game was really far away. But this is just to pad the stats. A.B. adding two touchdowns of his own on uh, seven receptions for 124 yards. The Bucs dominate this game. There's no better way to put it here, Wally. This was simply one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL, beating up on one of the worst teams in the NFL and doing it in convincing fashion. Most of these games... This week, because of my drive back naturally, I had to do most of my research after the fact. So a lot of these games, I mean, I was watching highlights or red zone, and that's where I was getting most of my eyeballs on these games. This one lived on red zone, as you can imagine, because Tampa Bay had the ball the entire time and was just moving it at will. So I did get to see a lot of this game. And Antonio Brown... It makes me sick to see how well he's doing right now. He truly is in the perfect environment for him. And the fact that this is all happening at the back of the Steelers falling apart and the Raiders losing John Gruden, it's just a sick, sick world right now. And I guess just to piggyback on, the, like I said, the John Gruden, how fitting is it that his last loss came against Khalil Mack? I don't know. I'm just, this is just me feeling disgusted and making gross lines drawn in my head but yeah the, the Buccaneers they're really 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 good and they're not gonna have a hangover it looks like if anything it looks like they're finally starting to play a little bit better on that defensive side of the ball hopefully for the Dolphins they get to a back soon so they can at least figure out if he's worth anything going forward because this season's over from any playoff I guess ambitions for the Dolphins two or not you know I know we were dogging to a before he went out for his injury, but man, this offense looks even worse without him. Jalen Waddle's not even getting any real production. They they can't get it done, and they actually have some talent on that offensive side of the ball, and it, and it's just not showing. Their defense is not playing as strongly as they were last year. Getting hung forty five points on by Tom Brady that's not that's not good. But you never know. Brian Flores was in a similar spot here a couple years ago during his first year in Miami. He got it turned around with that extra wild card spot. That wasn't there at the time that I was talking about. It is here now. Maybe Brian Flores can get something going. Got to really look at that schedule and see if see if they can string in, string in together, number one. See if Tua can get healthy first. And the last game here, the hair of the dog. We have the Minnesota Vikings just edging the Detroit Lions, who lost on a field goal as time expired yet again. Second time here in three weeks that has happened there in Detroit, Heartbreak City. Minnesota does all of this without their star running back, Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins, 275 with a touchdown and one interception. Alexander Madsen, this, this dude's an animal. 32 touches, 153 yards, and one touchdown. That's a nice one-two punch that Minnesota has there. And why not? If Dalvin Cook cannot consistently stay healthy, why why are you going to sign him if Alexander Madsen is putting up this type of production? Nonetheless, the Lions, the Lions fans, my guys, Brock, Butson. Oh, my goodness. This is rough. This this team is competitive. It's the most competitive 0-5 team that we have in the league. The, the only other one is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they are dog shit. 
and they are just getting their hearts ripped out every single Sunday. They're playing Cincy, the Rams, Eagles, Steelers, Cleveland, their next five. Are they going to continually get their, their heart tripped out here? Are they going to sneak a win out in, the, in these next few weeks? I think there's a couple opportunities. You said a couple AFC North teams there I think that they have a shot with purely on a matchup perspective. I think they can hang around with the Bengals and perhaps maybe get their win there. Maybe the Steelers, if their offense continues to struggle, Juju's out for the year. I'm sure we'll talk more about that too. But yeah, this has been a really unfortunate month for Lions fans. But the only thing I can tell you is in a weird way, Outside of that really gross feeling and the pity your stomach you have every Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock right after another heartbreaking loss, it means you're going to have a better draft pick. And right now, having a top three draft pick and your team playing this hard for a head coach in Dan Campbell, that's got to be the, where you you kind of find your happiness, right? Because a lot of teams, when you start off like this, you can typically feel that, I guess, lackadaisical and not as motivated locker room. And this locker room's playing for Dan Campbell. They are playing hard. They're trying to get wins. It's not just an individual basis kind of a job up there. And that's the best thing you can really say for a team that hasn't won and we're in the second week of October. So I do feel for you Lions fans out there. Keep your heads up. There are brighter days ahead. It simply can't get worse. Now, I want to pose this question for you as well for the other side. How are we feeling about the Vikings? I I truly don't know what the pulse is of this team. They can still get running back production without Dalvin Cook. Obviously, having Dalvin Cook in there is, is amazing. But what is your what type of or what type of team do you think Minnesota is at this point of the season? I mean, I think they're gonna probably be one of the first teams out of the playoffs, to be honest, just because of how deep the NFC West is. I think you're going to see at least three teams out of that division, and that's going to be where it gets hard for Minnesota because I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Packers in terms of winning that division. And at that point, there's not a lot of spaces left for you. You look at the NFC East, I think at this point the only team coming out there would be Dallas. Then you look at the South, and I think that the only team coming out of there is probably going to be Tampa Bay. So that's only two spots. Then you go out West, I think you get three. And that's where it's going to be fun. Does the fourth team in the NFC West have a better record than the second best team in the NFC North? Because that's the only question right now is can the Bears or can the Vikings get to nine or ten wins to at least push Seattle? Because I think Seattle will be that fourth team in the out West. Even with Russ's finger injury, you think that? Yeah, well, I mean, fourth out West with the injury makes a lot more sense. Even with that injury... I think that they are at least going to, they're going to be good enough to still win games. And Geno Smith looked okay. He, I mean, for what he, he came in against a good defense, he looked all right. I think he's going to be able to at least keep his head above water. It's going to be between the Seahawks. It's going to be between the Bears. And it's going to be between the Vikings. One of those three teams are going to get it. I don't think none of them are particularly good. But from just simply a numbers game, someone's going to get in the playoffs. And with that, that will bring us to the end of Hair of the Dog. And now we can get into the nitty gritty, the games, the best ones that stood out this weekend. And there was quite a few that stuck out. We're going to start with the Thursday night game here where we had the Los Angeles Rams beating the Seattle Seahawks. 
Now, the Seahawks did lose Russell Wilson here, thinking about roughly a month with a very gnarly finger injury. He was like limp, just kind of laying there. So in comes in Geno Smith. Yes, he is still in the league. Can't believe it. What's he do? Leads a 98-yard drive, his first drive in the game. Looking pretty good. Other than that, didn't really do too much. 10 to 17, 152 yards and a touchdown. Weirdly enough, Matt Stafford also had a finger injury here as well, but he was able to stay in the game, finishing with 365 yards, a touchdown, and one interception. The last thing Seattle needs is Russ being out. We just talked about this, how bad their defense is. They have the Steelers, Saints, Jags, a bye week, Packers, and Cards over their next five. Do you think that they can stay above 500 here? And Nothing crazy here about the Rams. Rams are looking good. They're starting to roll. That's why I'm more, more continually focused here on the Seahawks. Purely on the five games that you have coming up here is why I think the Seahawks hang around. Because if this was the toughest part of their schedule, or had they had a few extra divisional games, especially in the next few weeks, I probably would have answered very differently a minute ago and told you that that seventh spot was either for the Bears or for the Vikings. But because you have the Steelers, the Saints, and the Jaguars coming up here, I think that you get at least two wins, even with the state of the Seahawks there. And that's going to be how this team can survive, at least until he gets back. And at that point, it just turns into a sprint to the end of the season between those three teams we mentioned. Also, the Rams are really freaking good. The Rams are very good. Robert Woods also had a 12 reception, 150-yard game. Cooper Cup had 92 yards. You had Henderson with another. It was like 82, 89 yards. This team is going to be rolling. Their defense is look, looking solid. Russ is out. San Fran, our next game here, not really who we thought they were with these injuries. And then you got the Arizona Cardinals. The only team left that are 5-0, beating the San Francisco 49ers and spoiling Trey Lance's debut here. So Trey Lance, 15-29, 192 with a touchdown, also added 16 rushes on 89 yards. So the Niners dropped a 2-3 and three in the division. Again, cards are 5-0. and oh. Kyler Murray, stud. DeAndre Hopkins could be the best receiver in the league. We'll talk about who actually is the best receiver in the league here coming up. This Cards team is looking good. Only won 17-10 here, but it's a nice gritty win. I wonder who you're talking about when it comes to best receiver there, but we will get into your guy. But yeah, the Cardinals... This is so cool, Steven, because I can't remember in so long because you go back the last couple of years, it was the Chiefs or the Buccaneers, and you go back even beyond that, it was this, it was the Patriots. It feels as wide open as I can remember the top of the NFL right now. There truly is six to eight teams that I could see winning the Super Bowl, not just getting there, but winning the Super Bowl. And you cannot, I can't tell you the last time I could say that. I mean, I think I'm ready to finally accept that the Cardinals are better than I thought they were. So hand up there, Cardinals fans. I've been an asshole for no reason. You guys are really, really good. I will say that the 49ers, though, I'm not giving up on this team. I think that you're going to see the growing pains with Trey Lance, and there are some injuries there that are holding them back. But I do think that come postseason time, this will be a team to look out for that could potentially make a run themselves. But yeah, credit to the Cardinals. That offense is special right now, man. That running game is good. The wide receivers are special. I mean, then then you have even a guy like Rondale Moore as your number third option, and he can do a little bit of everything. Look out. I mean, look out. 
for Arizona, and them coming up to Cleveland this weekend might be the game I'm looking forward to the most. I can happily say I'm eating crow on this next game because Buffalo went to Kansas City and walked, walked the Kansas City Chiefs. They looked like shit. The best part about this was there was a freaking lightning delay at halftime. So these guys, these fans, these worthless Chiefs fans had to sit in the cold rain even longer to watch their team lose. That's the part that made it most exciting for me. Plus, it made it so I got to get home in time to watch the second half of this game, which warmed my little heart, I can promise you, Steven. But yeah, you're right. You're Buffalo Bills right now. They look pretty damn good. I will say this for the Chiefs, though. This is the worst defense in the NFL. And this defense has this Chiefs team at 2-3, and three, and they should be 1-4. Do we have to wonder if this Kansas City Chiefs team will be playing an 18th game this year after at the start of the year, we were quick to chalk them up 15-2, and two, potentially 16-1. and one. Hell, you had a freaking $20 bet that they go 17-0. and 0. Uh, It was a $10 bet, 20 you know, to win the Super Bowl. That one, they ripped that Band-Aid off pretty quickly for me. Just I, I just need the Josh Allen respect. You put nothing but disrespect on his name, but, but where the most respect needs to go to, yeah, Josh Allen had a great, great game, 15-26, 315, three touchdowns, add one rushing touchdown on 59 yards, and a hurdle on a third down situation where he needed to get that first. He runs, hurdling linebackers, dude's a fucking animal. But this Bills defense, number one in total yards and points allowed, second in passing, third in rushing. This defense is coming to play. And we flip it to the other side of Kansas City. This defense is fucking Horrible. I don't know what is going on. Steve Spagnola, act like you've won, you know, a couple Super Bowls leading a defensive unit that can be inept. What I'm circling on my screen here is what is Patrick Mahomes doing? It's like this league is caught up to him. This offensive line that is that they revamped in this offseason doesn't seem to be doing anything. You lose Clyde, Clyde Edward Hilaire here with an MCL sprain. You're going to lose him for a few weeks. Throws two interceptions. Yes, you're throwing 54 times. You have 272 yards and two touchdowns. But you throw two interceptions. That's six interceptions through your first five games this year. He finished with 11 the last two years combined. Six last year, five the year prior. You're already halfway through there and matched your total from last year and already surpassed the total from the year before. I can't give up because it's the Chiefs and they can, just like when they're always down, if it's in a game, if it's in their record, they could snap and flip that real quick on you. But no one's scared of them now. It's the revenge tour. The Ravens got to win on you. Talking trash about Justin Herbert and the Chargers, how there'll be nothing. They got to win on you. The Bills get the AFC Conference rematch. They get a win on you in your own home. This Kansas City team is not the same. Something is not clicking in that locker room or offensively, and they need a defensively, I should say, but in Pat Mahomes as well. Patrick Mahomes has to be better, but that defense is horrible, and they can't do anything. You can put up as many points as if you want, but if you're giving up equally as amount of those points, you're going to run into a team that can stop you like the Bills, and you're fucked, and you're not going to win the Super Bowl. Bills should be the Super Bowl favorite and the AFC favorite right now. 
eh, I'm not going to go that far, but that's fine. We'll have plenty of time to figure out which one of us is right there. But I will say this for this game. You saw a Buffalo Bills team that made it, made it clear early they were going to take away Tyreek Hill. And when you take away Tyreek Hill, this offense has to be perfect because it's much more of the dink and dunk, slowly methodical drive down the field. And this is a team that has almost a college Big 12 feel to it where they look for those big chunk plays often. And when they do that, they really are able to kind of stretch that defense and have them on their heels. While they're doing this now, many defense are saying, hey, yeah, you're going to score a lot of points on us because we're going to play Ben Don't Break. But we think you're going to make mistakes because you get impatient and don't want to basically dink and dunk us down the field. I'm not worried about Patrick Mahomes yet. I think he'll figure it out. It's just that defense, man, they're not going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl at this point. It doesn't matter what Patrick Mahomes in that offense does. I mean, because this is a situation, even with how bad the Raiders' offense is, I would even be inclined to say that the Raiders have a chance to beat them still. And this is a dumpster fire of a situation right now with the Vegas Raiders, but that's how bad the Chiefs' defense has become. And they weren't good last year, but I don't think any of us expected this kind of fall-off from them. You're right. You're not going to be able to beat anyone. We've seen the fall off of what Seattle's been like. They're just scraping just to get to the wild card spot in the playoffs, just to lose in the first couple rounds. This Kansas City team is is going down that path, and maybe we all kind of jumped the gun a little bit early about what this team can be over the next decade. And they're the next. They're going to be the next Patriots. The reason they're the next Patriots because their defense was filthy year in and year out, and Tom Brady made your receivers better. You got to find someone else. Yeah, you got Josh Gordon. Do you really think that's going to be your number two guy? You got to get Travis Kelsey in the mix a little bit more. He's had a stagnant last couple games. They need another big receiver threat type of guy. And who would have thought this time of the year they'd really be missing out on Sammy Watkins? I'm not going to give Sammy Watkins any credit. I, I don't like him. I don't know what it is. He's the guy that everybody wanted him to be an elite receiver his first few years in the league so bad that I feel like everybody talked him up. And now we're at a point where we look back and we're like, oh yeah, he's a solid receiver because we're incepted to believe he's done all this great thing. But whatever, I'm not going to sidetrack and give Sammy Watkins any more credit than people already want to give him some. But yeah, credit to the Bills, credit to your pick. You hit it on the head and we'll get into your record later because you had a very impressive week and I hope people followed you in your gambling picks. But our next game, the Chargers hosted, kind of, technically, the Browns, because the Browns took over L.A., and win in a 47-42 shootout. I know Browns fans are very frustrated in this game, and they have a lot of reasons to be. Kevin Stefanski was all but flawless last year. This year, though, there have been a few times where I feel like he's left a scratch in our heads. For instance, at the end of that game, the Chargers score late, down 7, 42 to 35, to make it a one-point game, kick the extra point, miss it. There's three minutes left. The Browns have not been stopped all day. Nick Chubb is effectively just getting first downs on first down himself because he is running for 8, 9, 10 yards a pop. Instead, Kareem Hunson give the ball back to the Chargers. The group chat I always talk about was talking about him nonstop. But the punter for the Browns had like five or six punts on Sunday and didn't hit one for more than 40 yards. It's the NFL. You punt the ball then at the end of that game when the Chargers have scored just as much as you have. 
with less than three minutes ago, the game was effectively over. The Chargers took over on the plus side of the field because of another terrible punt. I just don't know what to say. Brutal loss for the Browns. But at the end of the day, this changes nothing. The goal still remains. Win the division. Still very possible for them. But this is the start of a little bit of a tricky stretch here. And they really would have liked to be 4-1 and one with Arizona coming into town opposed to trying to fight them off to stay above 500 next week. 89 combined points, over 1,000 combined yards. How do you not continually keep it on the ground? Yes, I know it's getting to that point in the game. It's nervous. Like you said, you had the one-point lead. Give it to Nick Chubb, who had over 160 yards. Cleveland was up 27-13 to 13 with 12 minutes left in the third, and the game just exploded. The Chargers scored 26 points in the fourth quarter themselves. 56 points were scored in the second half between those two. Just the second half covered the over-under on this game. The Chargers have the worst rush defense in the league. They're averaging, I think, I want to say a little bit north of 150. You clearly know it's working because you have over 220 yards rushing. Continue doing that. And even that last possession, Baker, three straight bombs. It, it looked horrible. You, you got to give it to your playmakers. And with that being said, two receptions for 20 yards on three targets to Odell Beckham is not a way to do that. Yes, David Njoku had an awesome game. Baker Mayfield, even that last drive was bad. Yes, you had a good game. 305, two touchdowns, 122.5 rating. But Justin Herbert, my dark horse MVP candidate, five total touchdowns for 427 yards. This dude's a problem. I'm not going to go as far as saying he is the best in the AFC West quite yet, but he quietly had, well, he's not quietly because that's how bad the Chiefs are. Two and three, last place. Justin Herbert's got his Chargers in first place in that division at a 4-1 record. I want to ask you this. I know you were against my Bills pick, so does that mean that your team Chargers on the AFC representative or who you think the favorite is? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, last week you heard me talk about how I think the Chargers are the best team in the AFC West. And the way they played last week, and the way even this week, I know that their defense didn't do well against the Browns, but to be able to win a game like this, and I tell you what, Brandon Staley's a hell of a coach. I think everybody that's watching their team play this Chargers bunch right now are realizing quickly he's hyper-aggressive, and he's a very good coach, and he's able to dial up a lot of things to create these easy balls for Justin Herbert. And Man, I, I have only positive things to say, and that's a bummer because I finally got rid of the Chiefs, it felt like, and we replaced them with a finally healthy Los Angeles Chargers team. But this next game, the game I mentioned to, I got to listen to on the way home. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. I'm not going to say much because I want you to kind of give us a, a recap of your day, first of all, because you went to this game. So I'm going to ask you, you were sitting there and you were watching over the course of six possessions at the end of this game, five missed field goals, four of which would have won the game outright. What in the world were you thinking? What was that building like? Because it was, I wish you could have heard the Packers guys on the radio. It was like they at some point started almost laughing because they're like, this feels not real. It was absurd. Five missed field goals in that game. There was 12 missed field goals as well as 12 extra points missed 
on Sunday. So it was a weird day for kickers, but five of the 12 coming in this game in the fourth quarter and overtime, the only game in NFL history to ever do that. And I got to witness that. And I'm here, most importantly, to prove to you I survived and I can tell the story in person. Awesome game. It was a wide receiver quarterback duo here. You had Aaron Rodgers and Devontae against Jamar Chase and Joey B. Aaron Rodgers, 344. Joey B, 281. Aaron's got the two touchdowns and one pick. Joey B with a couple himself, with a couple interceptions as well. Jamar Chase, six receptions, 159 yards and one touchdown. 70 of those yards coming in right before half on a nice touchdown play that Green Bay's defense looked like dog shit. But Devontae Adams, that man is something else. 11 receptions, 206 yards, one touchdown. No one can fucking touch this man. He's a dog. He had over 100 100 yards and a touchdown at halftime. But Green Bay grinding it out. Nice battle against, against a Bengals team that we don't really know who they are quite yet. Green Bay goes out there without Bakhtiari. Obviously, they're starting center and Josh Myers. Jari Alexander, they're starting the guy replacing Bakhtiari because he's on the PUP list. Elton Jenkins also missing another game. So Green Bay went in there wounded and came out victorious. That last quarter and overtime was insane. You're sitting there thinking it's hitting, and but the good thing is none of them were really that close. Because they just started off all the way left to right, and they were fucking ugly, and they stayed there. Except for the one where, of course, the kicker thought he won, and it just hit the flag. I honestly thought he hit it. And then I – because where I was sitting, the top of the end zone, the top of the the goal post, I couldn't see it. So it looked good, and then all of a sudden I just saw the ref shaking it. No, and I started freaking out. We get Mason Crosby – Give him his fourth and final opportunity here to win the game. It was amazing. Great fans, great experience. Love that stadium. Hopefully Green Bay gets to play there again because not too often I get to see my team, and it's a, it was a quick, easy drive. I'm happy for you, man. That's a really cool experience to see your own team in person, especially for guys like you and I that have always rooted for teams not in our hometown. So that's really cool. It was nuts to hear. I can only imagine how cool it would have been in person to see this. And, I mean, dude, Devontae Adams, like you said, a very special time. I mean, this is a game, realistically. I know we're very big moral victories are stupid kind of people. and But this is a weird situation to me where I watched this, I guess, what, the day after. And I felt like this was as close to a win-win as you could get because – you're right. The Packers do manage to kind of come into a hostile environment, get a win when you're banged up and injured. Do it in a game like this where Mason Crosby, he's had, what, probably one or two other games like this in his career where out of nowhere, he might be 20 of 20. All of a sudden, he has a game where he misses three or four field goals. And I was happy for Evan McPherson, too, that he was in this game with a guy like Mason Crosby because if there was someone that he could even watch – go through similar things in a game like this and kind of still be able to stand the test of time and be able to put it behind him. I think this was the perfect environment for him. Bengals are at least a lot better than a lot of people thought they were. I wish I put my money where my mouth was when we did that way too early prediction show back in March or April when I mentioned the Bengals having odds of plus 1,300 to win this division. If they beat your Packers, 
all of a sudden that could have been a little fun, a little interesting to keep an eye on. But yeah, again, congrats to you. Another big win and a very important win all of a sudden with the Vikings and Bears getting some themselves. But Baltimore, final game of the week, Monday Night Football. They trailed 22-3 to late in the third, early fourth. I can't even remember which it was. But come back to win. After Rodrigo Blankenship had a kick blocked with like four minutes ago, Lamar Jackson marches the team down the field, scores and gets the two-point conversion before getting the ball right back again in overtime and walking down the field and doing it again. You know, this was a game where I called out Lamar and Josh Allen last week, and what did they both do this week but have some of the best games of their entire career? If Lamar can look like he did on Monday night and be able to at least stretch the field and throw the ball to success, this Ravens team could become one of those teams that you make a case could win the Super Bowl. I need to see it more than once, but talk about encouraging that we finally are seeing this guy even on rollouts, this is how you have to work with these kind of offenses. Do whatever you can, whatever makes Lamar comfortable to throw the ball through the air. But big comeback win for the Ravens. And all of a sudden, too, the Colts, man, you have that big win last week. Titans give you a little bit of life. They lose to the Jets. You follow that up by losing a game. You're up 19 late. That's just unbelievable. The Colts are in a downfall. Talk about getting banged up. I know they have some offensive linemen, some people, a couple people on their defense that – are injured, but man, they just cannot buy a win right now. You're up 19. Your kicker misses two field goals to be able to either put the game out of reach, and then he misses one basically at the buzzer as well that made the game go into overtime. I got to stand there in the fire with you as well. You know I'm one of the biggest Lamar haters when it comes to him passing the ball, and he definitely put put my foot in, in my mouth, but that's one that's Honestly, two of what's going to be 17, 18, 19 games this year that he's done that so far. 86% completion percentage, 442 yards, four passing touchdowns, and even added 62 rushing yards. So over 500 yards he was accounting for yesterday. Mark Andrews, 11 for 147 and a couple tutties. Hollywood Brown, after having some early drop issues here, nine receptions for 125 yards and two touchdowns. And man, this Colts pick is looking worse and worse as as my division win, winner for the AFC South. It's looking worse each and every week. And also a fun fact, Lamar Jackson now has more total yards than 18 teams in the NFL right now. He is balling to start this year off with all the injuries that have, that have happened to that Baltimore Ravens team. That's impressive. And with that, that will bring us to the end of the Week 5 recap. Let's dive into the... NFL bets for week six. Wally, I'll have you go over our rec- go over our records and I'll have you start off on the first game here, bud. Dude, you had a day. I, uh, I'm trying to find where my record is. I had a terrible day. I finished either four or five games under 500 and I didn't have time to actually calculate units yet this week. But typically the way I bet, if I was three or four or five games under 500, I would have been several units down, if not four or five. So it was a bad week after having a really good one. You though, you went 17, three and one. And I, again, do not have the actual units calculated in front of me. I'll actually go down and do that for you later so that we can actually bring that up again next week because it's worth bringing up. But that's typically the way you bet. That's going to be a 10, 11 units up. 
So if you're betting $100 a game, dude, you went up me from last week. I thought I had a really great one, about eight and a half units up. You turn around, throw a 10 or an 11 spot. I'll get specifics for next week's show, but great job. And I'll jump right into our next game. But yeah, so back-to-back weeks, we're flip-flopping here. One really, really good one, one pretty bad one. So we're going to both sync up and do well. I can feel it. But the Buccaneers are six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Philadelphia. The over-under is set at 52. I'm going to take the Buccaneers minus six-and-a-half in the money line here. I think that even with Brady's banged-up thumb, beyond how sore it is, I don't think it's going to really cause him too much problems. I think he's going to look good again. And this Eagles defense... Yeah, they kind of showed up against Carolina, but I still think they're going to struggle against Tampa Bay and that wide receiving core. We know the story every year about those cornerbacks. And I want to say, I know I talked about Zach Youssef and the Eagles here a few weeks ago. He had made a comment about it being like the first time, basically in 400 years, that the Eagles had three interceptions from cornerbacks in a game. So it'll be fun to see that they can kind of answer the bell back-to-back weeks against such a talented trio. I think they're going to fall up short, though. Buccaneers are going to win this game, something like 34 to 20. What do you have here? I Again, that's Bucks minus six and a half in the money line for me. This Eagles team led by Jalen Hurts, uh, they, can, they can put up some points. We saw with how bad of a secondary they played in Kansas City that they were able to not really hang around, but they were able to put up some points here. Now, let's flip it over to their secondary. Eagles have a top three in yardage in their pass defense. The Bucs are dead last. They're both allowing around 24 points per game. Tampa Bay's allowing three, around 360 yards per game, 336 the Eagles are. So this is, yes, a little bit skewed because it's a lot of garbage time in here. But when, you, when you're taking spreads, garbage time can be your best friend sometimes. Philadelphia's got some injuries. Sua... Opeta, their guard on the COVID list here. He was put on there last week. We'll see if he's able to make the Thursday night game here. Dallas Goddard was put on there on that list here this morning. Then you got Lane Johnson and Jordan Malata. Marked as questionable here. So a lot of defensive question marks on Tampa Bay side right now. You know, you got Antoine Winfield Jr. That could be missing time. You got JPP playing through a broken finger. Don't know if Gronk's going to play. Don't know if Lamonte David's going to play. Suffered a low ankle sprain here. So he could potentially be missing a few weeks. So I like the Eagles to be able to stick around here. The Bucs are going to win. Not a doubt in my mind. But I like the Eagles to stick around here with that garbage time and what they're able to produce when the game is a little bit of out of reach. I could see the Bucs kind of easing up here a little bit. Philly covering the six and a half. But I also like the over at 52 because both of these teams can put up some points. The next game over in London, the 9:30 game on Sunday, the Dolphins three and a half point favorites at who's going to be the home team in the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags have to be ready and be close for that first that first win, right? You would think. Both teams are allowing 400 plus yards, 280 plus rushing yards, they're, and they're both allowing 30 points per game. To a back at practice, he's he's throwing a little bit here on Monday. We'll see who's going to be starting. He got Brissett with a hamstring injury. A little bit of a soreness here from the game. But Miami has one of the worst defenses in football right now. They cannot stop a nosebleed, and their offense is not allowing them to get any rest on the the sideline because their offense is not producing anything right now. 
Jacksonville, they always have a weird aura of them playing in London. Yes, I know it's a whole different team that is playing over there. But I feel like they're very close to getting that first win. This Dolphins team is out. Everyone is kicking them while they are down. And I think the Jaguars are going to be that next team. And I like them at plus three and a half. I'm not saying Miami can't win this game, but I like Jackson Jacksonville covering the three and a half right now. Maybe the hook will save us here in the game. You know, I was a little split before on what I wanted to do when I looked at this. But I will tell you this right now. I have red zone on while I'm doing this just for fun to have football in the background. And Jacksonville just missed their field goal short. So naturally, that's for me an omen that I have to ride with the Dolphins here. I told you earlier, it's like my inverse of the Chiefs of last year. I am going to fade Jacksonville until they shove it up my hoop. I'm not going to believe that they can actually get it done. So I'm taking the Dolphins to cover the spread of three and a half in the money line. This has nothing to do with anything positive I feel about Miami. It is all the negative side on Jacksonville. This isn't going to be a game you come back if you're the Dolphins and they win 20 to 14. You're like, yeah, finally, we're back on track. No, this is a doomsday scenario. If we lose, we have, like, what do we do? Like, we thought that we entered this year as a playoff team, and now an Urban Meyer-led Jacksonville team where a week ago we didn't know if Urban Meyer was still going to be on the team. He's going to end up leading this team to a win. I ain't buying it. Dolphins win, they cover. The Texans, though, are traveling to Indianapolis where the Colts are 10-point favorites. Over-under is set at 43. That is a lot of points to me. So I'm actually, first time this year, I'm not touching a spread in a game. This is taboo for me. I'm not touching the spread in this game at all. I'm going to take the Indianapolis money line in the under here because I do think the Colts get it done. But coming on for a short week and coming off an emotional loss like they did in Baltimore, that revenge game like we talked about, unbelievable, made what left in the middle of the night 50 years ago, brutal loss. But I'm taking the under here as well because 43, while that is a low number, this Texans team, I think Davis Mills, while having a decent game against the Patriots, has really been kind of unproven. That long touchdown pass that inflated his stats on Sunday was a jump ball. And it just so happened that the Patriots lost the jump ball. I don't think they're going to score a lot of points. So this is going to be one of those 24 to like 10, 13 kind of scores where it will be undercomfortably. A lot of talking there for a garbage game. But Steven, what do you got? Colts are minus 10. You said it best. That's a lot of points for, for an NFL game and for a divisional game. Yes, the Colts haven't done or proven enough to me to back the confidence of them covering the 10 points. This defense really isn't that good. They're allowing 73% completion percentage. That's third worst in the league. 124 rating to opposing quarterbacks. That's the worst in the league. And they're 20th in yards. Davis Mills will get a little bit of confidence going up against a defense that was fifth in passing, third in QBR rating, and only allowing a 59.5% completion percentage. So there's going to be a little bit of confidence here. So I think that Texans offense is going to thrive a little bit better than what we were anticipating. Yes, they're not crazy, but they have weapons. Yes, the weapons were a lot better when it was 2018. They still have weapons and a lot of pieces there. The Colts have a lot of injuries as well that you pair up with that. Texans, you know, not like the Texans can can get to the quarterback. They only have eight sacks here on the year, but Quentin Nelson out. You have a 
you have a couple other guards that that you're losing here you just start scratching your head like okay how are we going to start replacing these guys houston's looking decent they look like they have their feet underneath them on davis's mill's second career start maybe we have tyrod taylor here coming back maybe not this week in the coming weeks I like Houston to cover this in the divisional game, the 10 points, but I got the the Colts money line to get paired with that. One divisional game to the next. We got the Green Bay Packers facing off against the Chicago Bears. Chicago coming in with the eighth-ranked defense in total yards, 12th in passing, 12th in rushing, allowing 103 yards per game, and 7th in points per game. Green Bay's been winning a lot of close games here the past few weeks. You know, you got the... Game winner against San Fran. He got the game winner here this past Sunday against Cincinnati. And they also have a lot of injuries to that offensive line here. Now, yes, you have Aaron Rodgers. As long as you have Aaron Rodgers, you know he's going to dominate against the Chicago Bears. But with the lack of offensive line depth, we'll see if we'll see how Elton Jenkins is looking. If Josh Myers is going to suit up this time around. If you're going in there with a depleted offensive line, I think Green Bay can win, but I like Chicago at the plus four. If they're healthy on that offensive line for the Green Bay Packers, I like the Packers with the points here. Clearly, Chicago knows how to get after that quarterback. You saw it live here. We've been seeing it the past couple. They can get after the quarterback, and with a depleted offensive line, I wouldn't be surprised if they made Aaron Rodgers' life a living hell. Yeah, I think they're going to make it at least challenging on the Packers. I think it's going to be really close, honestly. I think it's going to be a good game. But ultimately, I do think the Packers do cover this spread. I think they win by like a touchdown. So I have them covering in with Moneyline. But this is all of a sudden an important game because let's say the Bears do manage to take this one. It kind of feels like the division's a little bit up in the air then. But if the Packers win, it's kind of got that feeling that it's going to be more of the same, that this is their division until it's taken from them. It just, it's so hard to bet against Aaron Rodgers to get a to bet against Devontae Adams, to bet against Aaron Jones. I think the Packers get it done on the road. I've been bitten too many times taking the Bears in the past betting against the Packers. So your cheeseheads get it done. But I do think you will be sweating all the way up until that 4 o'clock conclusion of the game. But our next game here, the Kansas City Chiefs are 6.5-point favorites at Washington, where the over-under is set at 55.5. This is another one where I didn't take the spread. This is the second time this week I'm not doing it. Second time this year. But because of how bad these defenses are, it makes it really hard to take a spread here. I think that I'm going to actually take the Chiefs' money line in this game because I think that they are better. And I think that that Washington offense, even against the Chiefs, is going to struggle at times. And because of that, I'm going to take the Chiefs outright. Chiefs win, money line, and I'm going to take the over. This is amazing to say, but this is a battle of the worst two defenses in the NFL. 55 and a half, that's a lot of points, but I do think that it happens. I think that you're going to see the Chiefs win a game like 42 to 35 here. We are a Taylor Heineke podcast. I don't know if he's going to be able to hang 35 on there. Washington allowing 408 total yards. Kansas City allowing 438. That is ranked 31st, almost dead last in the league. Those boys can play. you got... You know, you got Gibson there in the backfield. Got scary Terry. See if Curtis Samuel ever wants to stay healthy. Taylor Heineke can, you know, like you said, I think that Kansas City can hang 50 on here. And I I think that Washington can at least hang in the high 20s. Not even get, okay, maybe like 20 to 25 is what I think Washington's going to get on this one. 
But these defenses are bad. They are so bad. Pat Mahomes has to be licking his chops at a game like this to really get his offense back, get his confidence back in his team in that locker room. I have the Chiefs winning easily over the six and a half, and I'm and I'm going with the over on this as well because I think this is going to be a high-scoring game in favor of the Chiefs. Next game we have here on the slate, the Minnesota Vikings visiting the Carolina Panthers. Panthers are one-point favorites over under set at 46 here. We don't know what that pulse is of the Vikings. We keep going back and forth. We're coming off a very tough win. You know, something no one really talks about, you know, when you come off those really tough victories, how do you play the next week? How do you overcome that? Yes, overcoming a bad loss. How do you overcome a, a tough win over a Lions team that hasn't won all year? Now, this is a battle of who's going to be healthy, Christian McCaffrey or, or Dalvin Cook here. They both seem to be projected to start, but Carolina's defense, I give the nod to over the Minnesota Vikings right now. They're the first in passing defense. Minnesota is 10th offensively, so I think that's going to be a fun matchup. But I like the running back as Christian McCaffrey to really gash this Minnesota Vikings team in his first game back. Right now, this spread's so small, I want to give the nod to the Carolina Panthers. I wouldn't be surprised if this got moved to a pick here throughout the week. It's a very tight game, and there's a reason why it's only a one-point spread, because this really feels like a coin flip. But I'm going to go the other way. I think that you're seeing one team here kind of come back down to what they are opposed to what we started thinking they were after the 3-0 and start. In Minnesota, on the other hand, a team that should have won their first two games this year, all of a sudden now they're they're learning to win. I know they beat a Lions team in an ugly fashion in a way that I know that that fan base isn't happy with, and that's coming off of a seven-point performance against the Browns. But I think that the Vikings get it done. I think they are able to go to Carolina, get a win here. So I have them minus one in money line. I just think that Carolina isn't, I just don't believe Carolina is as good as what we saw in the first three weeks. And like I said, they're coming back down to earth and the Vikings staying very much a player in that NFC wildcard race, and even in NFC North, but we'll get more into that as the weeks come up with that Packers matchup coming closer. But the Chargers are going to Baltimore where the Ravens are three and a half point favorites and the over-under is set at 50 and a half. This was a kind of weird line to me because I feel like it was a little bit too much respect given to Baltimore, while they're also not nearly being enough respect given to the Los Angeles Chargers. I have the Los Angeles Chargers plus three and a half, but I think they win this game outright as well, so I have them money line. And 50 and a half here, it's funny, because I know the Chargers just played in a game that just had about 800,000 yards, and everybody scored 55 points, but I think that the under hits. 50 and a half, I think you're going to see the Chargers, who a lot of people forget they were the ones that really kind of gave Lamar Fitz that first postseason run he had, where they put seven defensive backs on the field almost the entire game and basically said, you're not going to run on us. What can you do through the air? And I think that that's just going to be a similar kind of look back into the past where both defenses perform well. You get a game that's lower scoring than most people think. So that's why the under... I have the Chargers covering money line and the under in this game. Who do you have? You riding high with the Ravens here coming off of four straight wins? I am going to ride with the Ravens. Now, Chargers are my boys. Justin Herbert, that's my MVP. Got 20 bucks on that plus 1400 here way back in August. So you know I'm going to ride with him. But we're also not really giving the respect the Ravens deserve and what Lamar deserves right now. And yes, the Chargers are 
filthy. That offense is fun. They're seventh in total yards per game. They're averaging 411 yards. Where that's coming from is Justin Herbert, where he is going to exploit Baltimore's bottom five defense in passing yards per game, and they're 24th in total yards per game as well. Now, the Achilles heels for that Chargers team, now like you said, they fill it up with DBs. Let's have them throw it. Yes, that's the seventh best passing defense right there. But they are the worst rushing defense, allowing 157 yards per game. To a Baltimore team that's number one offense right now, fourth in rushing, and Lamar Jackson who loves to exploit people that don't know how to stop him. I think that this game, I'm not going to touch the over-under. I'd said I'm not touching that the rest of the year for the Chargers. And, of course, they burned me this past week. I'm not going to touch the over-under, but I like the Ravens plus three and a half. I'm going to ride on them. That rushing attack that Baltimore has led by Lamar Jackson is what is going to catapult them to victory against this Chargers team. It's the arm versus the legs in these offenses, and I think that the Ravens are going to come out on top. The next game here, we have the Cincinnati Bengals, three-and-a-half-point favorites at the Detroit Lions, and the over-under set at 48-and-a-half here. Honestly, this offensive matchup is very similar. The Bengals are only scoring three more points per game, but the Lions are averaging four more rushing yards per game. And then on the other side, the defense, the Lions are only allowing around 20 more rushing yards, four more points, and, and both teams have 14 sacks. They know how to get after the quarterbacks here. I don't really have any true information to give you that makes you want to back either or, other than the fact that, yes, take the Lions at plus three and a half. They're a gritty team that will always stay in the football game, and this team is built for you Lions fans to get your heart stripped out every week, but this team is realistically built to lose one to three point games. I feel like anytime you see Detroit at an underdog at three plus, you take them because they're always there to lose by that one to three point margin. I find it the same here. That team is so hungry and so close from the first win last week. Obviously, the Bengals just did the same exact thing here. And maybe their kicker's looking for, for a redemption game. I see this game being close. I think the Bengals are going to win by like Detroit covering the three and a half here. They love losing by less than three points. I literally thought I was going to tell you I'm taking the Bengals here, but then I look back down at my sheet and then I've got to go with first instinct Wally and first instinct Wally. When I looked at this, I was with you there. I think that the Lions covered a three and a half. And for some reason, I think they get off, I guess, the winless train this week and leave that to Jacksonville to be the only team left in the NFL without a win. The Lions are going to get this done. I, the defense has played a lot more scrappy here in the last few weeks. You're seeing that growth where last year it was one of the worst defenses in all of the NFL. And yeah, they still have had their growing pains. But we keep saying, and I'm tired of almost saying it because it's every week, but they're playing so hard for Dan Campbell. At some point, you got to imagine this team finally does make get that breakthrough, has a few things go their way. And the Bengals also feel like a pretty snake-bitten franchise too. Perhaps it's them. Maybe this is the way for them to actually, I guess, fall back to the expectations we had for them preseason. Because think about this. Had McPherson hit either of those kicks, this is a 4-1 Bengals team going to Detroit, and we're picking the winless Lions still to get it by them. This is a game that I'm very confident we're going to look back on Tuesday and hate ourselves because we both went this way. But I'm riding with you, man. Lions cover the spread. And the money line. But the Rams now, they're 10.5 point road favorites going to New York. They'll play the Giants, where the over under is 47.5. 
have to imagine Saquon. Without that guy in the backfield, this is going to be a Rams defense that's going to look to feast on Sunday, and I think they get it done. I'm taking them minus the 10.5, which is usually a number I don't like to bet, at least for the favorite. But in this instance, I do think the Giants are going to really have a tough time getting anything going on against that Rams defense. So I have Rams minus 10.5 and, and the money line. A lot of injuries happen on the offensive side of the ball. We told you Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, is he going to make that comeback after that hamstring injury? Sterling Shepard, is he going to finally get back in the mix? Saquon out with that with that ankle sprain. Daniel Jones, concussion. We don't even know if he's going to play. Put in Mike Glennon with that offensive line, with that defense coming into town. Good luck. I still do not like these points. I am still being haunted from the game last year where the Giants kept it competitive with the Rams. I want to say the Rams just squeaked out a victory, but it was, I want to say it was like 11, 12 point spread there last year. We thought it was a lock. They didn't even have Saquon and they kept it very close. I'm staying away from that, but I will throw in a nice little fun bet. I'm taking the LA Rams teaser at the Rams minus six. That's at plus one Oh five and the over of this game at 41 and a half. So those are points bought and down at a little bit higher odds, minus 110. So here, I put 100 down to win 91. It's like a parlay little action there. I'm going with that. I do not want to touch the spread here at the time. The Arizona Cardinals are going to be visiting the Cleveland Browns here, where the Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites. The Cardinals looking to keep that undefeated season going, moving into 6-0, and and the Browns looking to get a nice bounce-back victory now having to play back-to-back against two electric offenses. This is going to be another high-scoring game. We have two of the top six offenses going out of here. Arizona's D is allowing 139 rushing yards per game. And the Browns flip it on the offensive side. They have 12 rushing touchdowns. That's first in the league. And they have the number one rushing offense. Yep, number one rushing offense. Yet, the number one thing they need to focus on is the fumbling problems. They're tied at first in the league with Baltimore with seven fumbles on the year. And Arizona's tied third and turnover differential at plus five. And they're also tied for first in fumble recoveries on the defensive side of the ball here. I trust Kyler against Brown's secondary, even though Baker has a better matchup. But the Browns' rushing attack is what's really going to catapult this team. Keep Nick Chubb churning. Keep Kareem Hunt in there in those passing downs. And to get Nick Chubb a little, little, little bit of rest here. As long as the Browns don't fumble the ball, I like them in this game. I like them covering that two and a half because this could potentially come down to a field goal here at the end, and that seems to be the trend of these high-profile games the last few weeks. I'm going with the Browns minus two and a half in the money line here as well. When I initially looked at this, I honestly almost went the other way. I felt kind of like this is the time that I'm finally going to lean into this Cardinals love. And that's what made me feel nervous about it. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you know how it is when you gamble on teams every single week. At some point, you almost have to say, hey, if I'm going to go against everything that I've believed this entire season, maybe that's what Vegas wants me to do. So I'm literally fading my own brain with this pick. I'm taking the Browns in the money line in the minus two and a half. I think you're going to continue to see that Baker Mayfield, I guess that we saw this week, a little bit more uncontrolled. And yeah, there's been times he hasn't been getting the ball to Odell deep when he's been open. But it's almost like in a weird way, I'm happy that he's not fixated on Odell. So if he misses him from time to time, 
I think that's a better step than what we've been dealing with in the past. I think they're going to run the ball well, and I think they're just simply, hopefully, going to be healthy enough on that secondary that they're going to be able to slow up Arizona because that's where it's going to be the problem because Arizona's going to put up points in this game. It's just a matter of who's going to outscore who. The next game, the Raiders are going to Denver. The Raiders are four-point dogs, actually, which surprised me. I understand that everything going on with the John Gruden situation, and this is a very good Broncos defense, but I do like the Raiders still to win this game. And I think because of everything that's been going on, I do believe that this team has a lot of pride. And I think that in a situation like that has happened this week, this is a locker room that's going to be really tired of hearing negative things said about this team and this franchise and everything that's been going on. I think purely on that, you factor in that it's a wild card game or wild card. You throw the fact that it's also a rivalry game. I think the Raiders go in there, play very inspired, win this game outright. And that's why, again, I have Raiders plus four in the money line here. Just got to hope that offensive line can hold up against that pass rush. That will be the thing I'm watching the most. Now, both these teams know how to know how to get after the quarterback. The Raiders have the fourth most sacks in 15, Denver right behind with 14. So they both know how to get after the ball. Now, the Raiders, yes, they can get after the ball. They're allowing 134 rushing yards per game. You have that dual-headed monster in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon in that Denver backfield that maybe can gas you because Denver's only lying around 85. Let's see if we can get Josh Jacobs here in the mix. Peyton Barber, see if he's injured or, God forbid, you get Kenyon Drake some touches, the guy that you signed here in the offseason. But surprisingly, there's only two yards that separate this, this passing defense between the Raiders and the Denver Broncos. With that being said, I give the nod to the Denver's defense, but it's going to come down to quarterback play, who I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust Derek Carr immensely more than I'm going to trust Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, whoever they're throwing behind there at this time, because they, they just – they can't get it going right now. I think the Broncos are finally starting to fall back to earth here. And four points is a lot for a divisional matchup. And for this, I, I there's there has to be something else that we're not catching. And maybe this is this could be the lock of the week here that just because we're missing something. I know your offensive line can't hold up, but my goodness, you got they can't be this bad. Raiders are gonna cover four, not a single problem at all doing so. Next game here on the slate. We got the Dallas Cowboys, also four-point favorites here, heading into Gillette Stadium to face the New England Patriots. Like I was saying, this pass defense for, for the New England Patriots, that's that's a top-five pass defense right now. Dallas is second in rushing, 172 yards per game, with New England's rush defense allowing 111 yards. So you can get Zeke the ball, get him to open it up, maybe mix in Tony Pollard a little bit. And Dallas's defense, you're playing a rookie quarterback. They're second in the NFL in turnover differential at plus seven. Second in turnover, third lowest in giveaways. And they have the most interceptions in the lead, led by Mr. Diggs, with six interceptions through his first five games. Dude's a ball hawk. So if Mac Jones looking to bounce back, he better be able to protect that ball. You know Dak Prescott is with his plethora of wide receivers and weapons that he has with the emergence of Dalton Schultz coming in. I like this Cowboys team to continue rolling here and covering that four-point spread in New England without a problem. Dallas minus four. I think that you're right. Dallas minus four is the play here. 
This is a very, very good Cowboys team, like a potential Super Bowl Cowboys team. And this Patriots team, I think, is getting a lot of respect because of who their head coach is and what they've done in the past. Cowboys win this game. I think they're going to have a lot of success on offense. And that defense, my God, everybody's talking about Trayvon Diggs, what, having six picks, I think, in the first five games or something like that. He's been insane. He's been so good. And I don't think it's going to kind of stop. I mean, he's a really special player right now. And the way this defense is going, I think that this Cowboys team is going to be a problem for a lot of teams in the NFL. They go to Foxborough, they win, and I think they win by 10-plus. So I'm taking them minus four in the money line. And then the next game, you have the Seahawks going to Pittsburgh, where the Steelers are four-and-a-half-point favorites. 42-and-a-half points is the line here, too. I know this is crazy because we know Russell Wilson's done for a little while. I still think the Seahawks are going to go in and get it done here. That Steelers offense is still not good. I think that, yeah, they, they had a little bit of, I guess, signs of hopefulness on Sunday. But you also lose Juju Smith-Schuster in that exact game for the year. I think that they're going to struggle on offense, even against the bad Seahawks defense, because something's got to give there. Are they going to struggle? Is it going to be the Steelers' offensive struggles? I think whoever wins that battle is going to be who wins this game, and I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks defense here. So I have Seahawks plus four and a half and the money line. Yeah, so I have the Steelers covering this four and a half here. Seattle without Russell is an absolute joke. They're a crapshoot. This defense is horrible. They're 31st against the rush. They're 29th in total yards in the passing game. Even with Juju Smith-Schuster out, I still have the confidence that this offense can actually do something. This is another good confidence-boosting game against a defense that cannot stop anyone. And then now you're getting your defensive side of the ball healthy in Pittsburgh. This is a good game to go against a Geno Smith, a guy who, yes, has been in the league, but has not been in a starting role for quite some time. And, man, all I'm saying is, Cam Newton, I guess you should have taken that backup job for Seattle because you would be starting. Then our final game, the Bills next week, are three-point favorites on the road in Tennessee. I've been bit one too many times by the Bills here, and I know I just talked about how once you finally switch your opinions on a team, that's the worst time to bet them. So I'm literally talking out of both sides of my mouth. But I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills here. Minus three, money line, and the over of 52.5. Because I think both teams are going to be scoring a lot in this game. But I think the Tennessee Titans do ultimately fall short. My Bills-Titans pick, how can you pick against the Bills right now? The Bills are unstoppable. They have the best-ranked defense. You can't. You cannot throw against them. Titans are still dealing with that Julio problem, and Bills love to get out to that quarterback against a Titans team that have given up the most amount of sacks here throughout the first five weeks. Bills are allowing less than 80 rushing yards per game. Yes, Derrick Henry, I don't know if that will be enough against that O-line who just cannot block for you. And the Titans' D are bottom 12 in the league in everything. Their O-line is horrendous. And now you get the Bills that are steamrolling people right now, and they are riding a high. I have the Bills minus three covering that spread with no problem. And with that, that's going to bring us to an end of yet another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down, and of course, Twitter, down underscore loss. I'm your host, Stephen Weed, of course, my co-host, always joining us, Wally, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Do you have any parting words? For our gorgeous listeners. I know I've been giving out the podcast name and stuff the last week because I was at those couple weddings. So hopefully, 
Hello to all you guys, new listeners. Hope you guys are enjoying this. Let us know also what you guys want us to talk about, how you enjoy it, how we can improve, and we will sure to take that into account. But otherwise, dude, the Penguins are back on ESPN. Hockey is back tonight. It's a weird feeling watching this as we're doing this. We're I'm, As we speak, the Lightning are raising a banner and hosting the Penguins in what is the start of the Penguins rebuild, so I'm a little disappointed about that. But I'm excited. Anytime hockey's back, football's back, baseball playoffs are here, it's a great time for sports, dude. And it's a great time to take our bets because, like Wally said, we're both going to come out double-digit wins this week. I can feel it in my plums. Until next week, take our bets, and we can't wait to hear how much money we made you. Colorado Avalanche win the cup this year. Thank you.